it's a good day. We're having a good day. Uh, in your bulletin thingy, uh, I'd like to uh, go over some scripture. We're done with the commercial part of the message. I'd like to look at the Word of God, Jeremiah chapter 31. I'd like, if you have the bulletin, it's helpful, uh, just so we could read it in unison together. Uh, and if you kind of just, you say, well, usually in worship, I just move my lips and make believe I'm singing. Well, you can do that with this too. Okay, we won't notice if you can keep that going on. Uh, but let's read the whole thing, the verse 1, 2, and 3, Jeremiah 31, 1, 2, and 3. Let's read the whole thing in unison. Here we go. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Our God and Father, we pray for your blessing, uh, not merely on the reading of the word, uh, but we pray that as we are yielded to the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as we're yielded to him, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the writing of Scripture, will uh, illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth of the word. And we pray as well that the Holy Spirit would not only enlighten our minds, but empower us to live it out. For the word of God was not merely given to be learned, but to be lived. To that end, we pray your name would be lifted up and magnified. For in Jesus' name we ask it, amen. And so we see it starts off, Jeremiah chapter 31. It begins here with a strange way. Imagine beginning, beginning a chapter, and it says there, at that time. That's a little weird. Uh, what's going on? Well, he thinks you just got finished reading Jeremiah chapter 30. He's referring to what he had just been talking about. Uh, and so at that time refers to what he's been speaking about uh, in the previous chapter. Uh, and for your convenience, right under that Jeremiah portion, I have a verse, the last verse in chapter 30, to give us a heads up on what that is talking about, that period of time. It says there in Jeremiah 30, verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed, and until he has accomplished the intent of his heart in the latter days, you will understand this, the latter days. I mean, here was a message that Jeremiah gave, uh, you know, like 2,600 years ago or something like that. Uh, and I imagine it, it, it wouldn't even be relevant until our days, the last days. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if your pastor Tim gave you a message uh, and said, and by the way, this won't be meaningful for about 2,500 years? You'd say to him, brother, I got a tough week. Throw me a bone. I need something for now, you know. <laughs> but here's a message that is meant to be relevant in the day we live in as the New Testament clearly teaches us we're in the last days. And so we want to appreciate the relevance of what's going on here. Many of us may think the Bible's irrelevant because of the eternal word. It's always relevant. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable. It's as profitable as it is inspired. 
And so we want to understand this profitability for the day we live in. Because the word of God is relevant. If it's not relevant, it's irrelevant. And so we want to understand what he's saying. He says here in verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord. Wow. I mean, the anger of the Lord is bad enough. Fierce anger of the Lord. You know, I'm ducking for cover. Uh, what is going on here? Well, chapter 30 of Jeremiah describes a period of time uh, that is going to be coming upon this world. Uh, and we want to appreciate uh, how our Lord uh, taught us about it. Uh, the tribulation period when the fierce anger of the Lord will be poured out on this world. And you see what uh, underneath that Jeremiah 30, 24 verse, it says in Matthew 24, 21, what Jesus said, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Fierce anger of the Lord. And so we want to get a quick, quick synopsis here uh, on these matters. As I mentioned, my books go into it much more than I have the time to do uh, this morning. But there's three biblical reasons for the tribulation, and they're, and they're relevant to our lives as well. The first reason for the tribulation uh, is to prove that Satan is a liar. Now, we know he's a liar. John 8, 44, he's the father of lies. So be using a lie to protect yourself or promote yourself, even if it's a lie, a religious lie that you learned, so you hang your star, you know, you're hitching your wagon to some religious thing you were taught and trusting that that will kind of be your ticket, uh, you're absolutely going to be disappointed uh, because the tribulation will prove he's a liar because he cannot protect his own. Those who've been depending on lies to promote them or protect them. And so we want to understand that first reason. So if you're here and you've been living a kind of a life undercover uh, and a whole lot of stuff going on, trusting that your lies will pro protect you or promote you, uh, one day you will find out the awful truth uh, that the father of lies is who you've been following. The second reason is to punish the nations for their sins. Uh, and you say, well, about time. Yeah, and remember when the scripture says all nations, it's including our own. That's why we got to do what we can while we can. Uh, because there comes a time when we cannot work or do the Lord's work at all. And so we want to understand punish the nations for their sins. And this is something that is just normal, the sin is sort of a kind of a archaic idea, who talks like that anymore, you know, uh, big deal about sin, you know, and, and what immorality, what immorality, it's just personal choices, well, whatever you may call, listen, changing the label on a bottle of poison and calling it vitamins doesn't make it better for you. And the bigger swig you take, the worse you're going to be off. And so you can't change the label on sin and somehow think that it's now okay for you. If God hasn't changed. It's only your definitions that have. And the third reason, which is what Jeremiah is talking about where we're getting down to, the third reason is because of Israel. 
Israel, when you under, want to understand the game plan of God in international work, you have to understand the nation of Israel. God said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless, and, and those who curse you, I will, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so let's understand, God's international program has to do with Israel. Those who bless, he'll bless. Those who curse, he'll curse. And so we want to understand what God is doing. Keep your eyes on Israel. And so the third reason that Jeremiah is dealing with here and pertinent to our study, uh, notice, if you will, underneath that Matthew portion, Jeremiah chapter 30, the same chapter, verse 7. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. I can see some of you didn't get the outlines. Okay, well, pay attention. You'll have to kind of play, you know, get your mental thing going real good here. It says in, in Jeremiah 30, ver or if you memorize the Bible, please turn in your mind to. <laughs> it says in verse 7 there, alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. It's the time of Jacob's distress, but he'll be saved from it. You say, well, what? What? Yeah, the third reason for the tribulation is to prepare Israel for the coming king and kingdom. And so we're going to see a situation like never before, a tribulation like the world has never seen or ever will after that, uh, when the wrath of God is poured out. And when you read through uh, the book of Revelation or many other scriptures as well, you realize uh, that one-third of humanity uh, will be destroyed. Uh, much of the world as we know it will be coming, uh, you know, just destroyed by the wrath of God poured out upon the nations and this world. I personally, uh, I, I'm looking for the upper taker rather than the otherwise. Uh, I, live, uh, my, I keep my bags packed. Uh, last prayer in the Bible, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I, I pray that a lot, a lot. But in any case, uh, we want to understand uh, that this horror is going to come upon the world. Uh, the only family I have are those who escaped Europe prior to the Holocaust, uh, the, the shtetls, the villages and towns where my family came from uh, in Europe uh, were all destroyed by the Nazis. Uh, World War II, uh, the Holocaust, one-third of the Jewish people were destroyed. Uh, the, new, the next one that Jesus talked about, Jeremiah the scribes, Zechariah says that Zechariah chapter uh, 13 and verse 8 says there'll be two-thirds of the Jewish people lost. It'll be twice as bad as anything my people have ever experienced. And so you may be thinking here, what hope is there for little Israel? I mean, good grief, you take a look at the world press, look at the journalism of the world, it seems like everyone is siding up against Israel. Uh, it's just a horrific kind of scene here. And that's exactly what the scriptures say will be happening, is that in the world we live in, uh, we're going to see nations coming against Israel, uh, and it's going to be not merely a, 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 a political correctness, it's going to be uh, an issue of what will you stand with the least of his brethren and care for those he cares for, uh, the law sheep of the house of Israel. But never mind that. Uh, let me understand with you uh, that the issues can be seen so overwhelming uh, when you see this little nation uh, and you see what, what the Bible talks about and you can only wonder what hope do they have. I'm very thankful it says that there, there'll be a remnant. People will come out of it. Uh, not the whole nation will be lost, glory to God. 
but nonetheless, what a horrific scene. And if you're thinking, well, what hope is there? Let's go back now. All that was merely to explain at that time. Uh, just to understand that phrase, to get the period of time to understand. You've got to understand the text in its context. Otherwise, you'll make a pretext for any subtext you want. Yeah, I'm like that. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah 31, verse 1. It says, at that time, declares the Lord, I'll be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is the only verse in the Old Testament, the only verse that actually gives a promise for a national restoration of Israel. Quite often in the Old Testament, you'll see where it says that there'll be a remnant according to God's grace. Paul speaks of that in the New Testament. Uh, people like Zach and myself, a remnant uh, of Israel, Romans 11, verse 5. A remnant is here to testify of God's faithfulness. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the promise from Jeremiah is that all the families, kol mishpacha, all the families, uh, will uh, be gathered. And so we see this national revival. It is probably this verse that the Apostle Paul was thinking of when he was dealing with the issue in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. See it in the middle of the page there. And he says, and, all, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's the heavenly Zion. He'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. And so we want to understand uh, that though it's going to be a horrific situation, it's preparatory, everything going on. You say, well, I'm going through some miserable situations now. I believe you. I just want you to understand, if you're a believer, it's preparing you for something great. If you're not yet a believer, it's a warning shot across the bow. So understand what God is about in his preparatory ministry. And so we, we appreciate the fact uh, that what is a remnant now, one day, national revival, all Israel, uh, national Israel will be saved. Uh, and therefore, it says here uh, that uh, this preparatory ministry is something we're involved in. You say, well, what do you mean? This is exactly what we're doing now. We are planting seeds of the gospel. We are planting seeds for those 144,000. We're planting seeds for the work of God, doing what we can now. We are God's tenderizers. We're the preparatory work of God, getting the whole thing done while we can, because God's word will not return void. And so we want to understand the issues. We're going you know, to say, I'm going through all kinds of trials and troubles. Take a number. Who ain't? I mean, this side of heaven, Job says, like sparks flying to heaven, there's so many troubles. You say, well, what? That doesn't sound like good news. The good news is you have the grace of God in the midst of it all. You say, how do you know that? I read my Bible. That's how I know. That's where you find out things. So I'd like us to understand, now that we appreciate uh, the promise, because, now listen, national restoration of Israel seems like heavy lifting. You know what I mean? Uh, but I want to assure you of something. As easily as God can save one person, he can save a nation. 
we're less than dust on the scale. And so this is not a problem for God. That's how revival can work. Uh, I've been involved in it. We've had over 70 of uh, Jewish people saved at one service. Uh, God can do things wholesale, you know, industrial strength kind of things. But each person, each person, each person had to personally trust. Sometimes the excuses are removed by the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless they have to personally trust. But it's the same thing for one person or a nation. And so uh, as we take a look at verse 2, uh, because we want to understand the process, how in the world is he going to do that? Verse 1, we see what he's doing. He's in the restoration business. And if you're not in the restoration business, either praying and believing or out there doing it, uh, you're spiritually unemployed because this is what God is doing now. Uh, verse 2, it says, and thus says the Lord, uh, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, you say, What's that? That is a code phrase for those who come out of the tribulation. A little code phrase for those, and it could be applied to whatever you have survived and why you're still here. I don't know what, what you've been going through. I don't know what trials you're going through, what difficulties you're going through. You say, what do you mean? Well, you're like, you're like, you're a picture of Israel. You say, what do you mean? You've been going through trials and difficulties, and yet here you are to give praise to God. And so, you say, but that, that, I'm going through some bad stuff. I'm not going to try to minimize your pain or dismiss your problems. Because you might look at Israel in the same way and say, what hope is there? What hope, what hope could there be for that little nation? You know? But you don't understand the very issues of life. How could a David stand up to a Goliath? Was it because he was so young he didn't realize what he got himself into? Is that the problem? No, it's because David... So is someone bigger than his problem. There is someone bigger than your Goliath-sized problem. And he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And whatever else the lies of this world is trying to influence you with, or whatever your poor flesh is undermining you with, I want you to know that it's the word of God that Israel stands on and that every believer stands on. God's word is true, regardless of the lies of the enemy. And so God is bringing you through situations. He's bringing you through situations, those unprayed for ministries. You mean when my car breaks down? Exactly. I don't remember anyone ever praying, oh, Lord, I got to take a trip. I hope my car breaks down two or three times just so I can witness to all kinds of AAA people. Thank you, Lord. No one prays like that. If you pray like that, you need counseling. Don't pray for me. No, I usually pray, Lord, I don't want any problems, no character-developing experiences. Amen. I'm good to go here. Okay. Uh, but the Lord, because he loves me, he knows his grace is sufficient. Me, sometimes I'm guessing at it. But he knows his grace is sufficient. So he brings me through different issues that I might live for him and be a testimony to his name. Uh, therefore, the opportunities from God look like the problems we wouldn't want to have. Nothing our family would want us to have. Nothing our community would want us to have. But God knows his grace is sufficient. And therefore, we're undeterred. We are a fearless people because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and a sound mind. 
2 Timothy 1.7. Be careful of giving into fear. It's not from God. You say, well, how come I got so many fears? Family inheritance. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Like insanity. You might have gotten it from your kids. I don't know how that works. But God hasn't given it to you. And so when you're feeling powerless, you're giving into fear. When you're unloving, you're giving into fear. When you're not using your mind according to the word of God, sound mind, you've given into fear. But God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And so we want to understand the foundation for our lives, the word of God, regardless of the circumstances we go through. Why is that? Because of verse 2. Notice how it all gets done. He says here, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Grace in the wilderness. I want you to notice that. Great. If you're visiting with us, let's understand uh, what is something that is taught throughout the Word of God. The grace of God, this is what it means. God has done everything for your eternal salvation your eternal life, uh, in heaven, etc., in the work of Jesus. Jesus, when he died for sins, he said, it is finished. The work of your salvation has been completely and finally and forever accomplished in the death and resurrection of the Lord. So that when you place your simple faith in the Lord, God graciously brings you into the family because everything has already been done for you in Jesus. You say, well, I, I, I'm not getting that very clearly. Let me give you another, let me make, hold on, I, I got other things to say on that. Uh, you all know, you understand uh, just how wonderful a pastor you have. Can I hear an amen? amen. Uh, this side was much louder than that side. <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, and many people obviously therefore know how gracious a man Pastor Tim is. Everybody knows how gracious he is. Uh, let me just mention, he is so gracious. He is so gracious. He's going to want to take me out to eat after the service. Thank you, brother. <laughs> he is so gracious. Hold on a second. You don't understand him like I do. He is so gracious, he's going to take me out to a really good place to eat. I mean, linen napkins at lunch is like up there, you know what I mean? Something I could not afford myself. Thank you, brother. And he is so gracious, he's going to want to pay the whole thing. What a guy. What a guy. But you men know how we deal with this stuff, right? At the end of the meal, I got to show that I can step up. I bring something to the table, you know? And so I'll say to Tim, I'll say, oh, that's really great, but I got the tip. <laughs> I can step up. I bring something to the table, you know? I, mean, I got to, you know, man up on the deal. But Tim, being as gracious as he is, <laughs> will say, no, Sam, I got the whole thing covered. <laughs> what a guy. You see, that, 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 that's the issue. God has the whole thing covered in Jesus. And we want to do a few things to show we measure up. We step up. We come to church on a Sunday. Uh, we maybe, you know, do something 
some kind of good deed or whatever, so we can step up, we got to bring something to the table, you know. You can't add to the work of Jesus without saying he didn't do enough. That's the problem of depending on your good works, because what you're doing is you're denying the finished work for your salvation in Jesus. And therefore, the grace of God proves its sufficiency, that by simple faith, simple trust in what Jesus has done for you, simple faith, you now get the full salvation, the whole deal, every blessing in heaven in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You got the whole deal here. Why? Because God is who he is. Grace, grace of God, fully, completely. Because he, you say, why does he do that? Well, I want to show you a couple of things here. Look at the text again. We always look at the text. It says in verse 2 there, found grace in the wilderness. Wilderness, the only time you look for grace is when you're going through those wilderness experiences. When you're going through and everything, you know, the, I mean, just the, the dinner burnt, you know, the car broke down, dog died, I mean, you know, all kinds of things. Everything goes wrong, oh, and you say it out loud again, and you, you're in a situation, oh, Lord, forgive me for that. And he gives you grace in the wilderness. What a great God we have. But how different to the world we live in. Because in every TV show and the cop programs, they play good cop, bad cop, get the, get the dude to basically, or the this, <laughs> to confess that they did the crime, and then they lock him up and throw away the key, you know? God brings us into a situation to recognize that we fall short of the glory, that we are therefore sinners, every single one of us, in desperate need of what Jesus alone can do for us. He brings us to that situation, and he brings grace in the wilderness. What a great God we have, a great God. And so you say, well, what do you mean? When I go to Israel, notice the end of verse 2 there. When I go to Israel, this is what I see every single time. Israel, when it went to find its rest. You get that? You see, Israel is so desperate for what we enjoy. It's, it, it has nothing to do with the uh, latest iPhone. They got better ones. It has to do with what we have as believers. They're so desperate. So much of their economy is spent on defense, uh, unlike other nations. And therefore, they're desperate for that peace and that rest that we have. You say, what do you mean? They're so sick and tired of not knowing if their children will come home on the school bus they left in the morning. They're so concerned. They're desperate for this peace. They're desperate for rest. And their hearts are just stirred. And when we go over there, we find it like a stock fishing pond. People are hungry because they live in a world where it's just the reality is like never good. Every, as soon as you're out of high school, you're right in the IDF and you got to protect the nation. And the Lord knows whether or not his plans for you will continue on. And so this is the issue there. They're seeking rest. This is what their hearts desire. Israel, when it went to find this rest, I need rest. I need rest. And we know where it's found. Jesus said, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. We know where it's found. We've got the good news. This is why we pray believing, understanding his grace is sufficient. We understand this whole matter. And so the whole world pictured here 
not just Israel, the whole world is in confusion with all their escapist things to avoid the problems, all kinds of drawing, the target around the arrow. Yes, I meant to run you over. That's how I roll. No, we're all in desperate situations. But God provides us with grace in those situations. If only we'll look to him. Only look to him. Now, I've got a question for you. It's rhetorical, so don't answer. <laughs> Why? Why does God save us by grace? Why is it so clear? You know, it says in the Bible, it's appointed unto a person once to die, then comes the judgment. Death is not the judgment. No, the judgment follows death. You say, well, you mean purgatory? There is no purgatory in the Bible. That, there's nothing like that. You either die as a believer and go into the presence of the living God, into the presence of the Lord, or you go to judgment. You either trust in Jesus who took your judgment, or you have to face your judgment for yourself forever. And so you want to understand the issue here of this grace of God and how vital it is for our life, the grace in which we stand, the grace that's our sufficiency. We have to understand that. But it brings the question, why would God save us by grace? Why, when we're so re we confess we're sinners, we have to admit the truth. Why does God save us? Verse 1 tells us what he's doing. Verse 2 tells us how he's doing it. Verse 3 tells us why he is doing it. And this is actually the message for the morning. Verse 3, notice what it says there, Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to him from afar. How far? I don't care how far. I don't care how far your religion has removed you from him. I don't care how far your sins have removed you from him. He'll reach you. He'll reach you. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you. Stop there. That's why. God loves us. He loves us so desperately he realizes that there's no works of our own that can save us. But he loves us so desperately he therefore had to do what he had to do. And therefore he was gracious to us in Jesus. The love of God provides the grace of God. The love of God provides the grace of God, which provides the rest in God. How does God give you rest? By grace. Why does he give you grace? Because he loves you. No one else does. I took a poll. No one really likes you. But God loves you. God cares about you. He actually is concerned for you, unlike us, and we you know, kind of, can't remember your name, so hi, brother, you know, that kind of thing. But nonetheless, God loves you. You say, well, what about those hypocrites? Don't believe in them. Believe in God. That's the difference right there. And so you want to understand the issues of the matter. In other words, the whole purpose of my existence, why God created and redeemed me, is to represent him, to relate to him in worship, that I might represent him in witness. So we come out of the huddle here, you know, and therefore go out there, the mission field, as your sign says. I like that because Jews seek after signs, so thank you for that. <laughs> but we go out there, and what do you mean we go out there? Here's the point of the whole text. To the degree the love of God, 
the love of Christ, to the degree the love of Messiah constrains, governs, controls your heart, to that degree you will be his instrument of grace and no more than that. To the degree the love of Christ constrains your heart, to that degree and no more will you fulfill the purpose of your existence, of your creation and your redemption. And therefore, we need to grow still more in the love of God. Amen? We have to grow still more. You say, well, uh, God hasn't been too good to me lately. You just don't see it right. You need to be praying with brothers and sisters, seeking counsel from the elders, and understanding that God is working through situations beyond your understanding for his purposes. But God's on his game. Don't be distracted by the circumstances. God's game never changed and never changes at all. And therefore, we need to keep our focus running this race that's set before us with endurance, looking unto Jesus. Don't be distracted by the circumstances of life. God's purpose for you is through all of that. Oh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He loves me. He's gracious to me. He therefore gives me rest in those wilderness experiences. That can be in testimony to him, for him, to others who don't know what to do when they hit that problem. And so we want to appreciate We're going to grow real fast now. My time is up uh, because Tim's thinking about the restaurants, right? <laughs> Where can I get a reservation? Just, oh, no. um, and so, uh, yeah, but let's understand we got to grow in the love of God. And this is how we grow. Let's look at it real carefully for just a moment. It says in uh, verse 3 there, it says, The Lord appeared to him afar, saying, I have loved you. You see that? Ain't that simple? God loves me. First thing I heard and believed on when I was a new believer a long time ago. He loves me. God's love is personal. It never changes from that. It's always personal. It never becomes theological. It never becomes doctrinal. You say, well, hold on a second. Don't you believe in sound teaching and sound doctrine? Yeah, but that only articulates my faith. My faith isn't in doctrine. My faith is in Jesus. <laughs> so understand the matter here. He loves me personally. God's love is personal. It's always personal. It never becomes impersonal. It never becomes religious. And if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you're dead in religion. You need a personal relationship. It's always personal with God. This is why Jesus came. God came in the flesh. The Son of God came to die in my place. That's love. To die in my place. He didn't, it wasn't just some messenger boy. It wasn't just some angel or something. God showed me his love that in my place he came, died in my place. That's love, his personal love for me. And that's why we have to share him personally. It's always personal. And why we have to trust in him personally. It's always personal. It never becomes otherwise for God. And if it has become impersonal for you, you know, you say, well, what do you mean? This is a great congregation. You know, if I lived in Richmond, uh, I would probably, you know, I'd love to think that, you know, Zach and I would be the Jewish contingent and kind of like, you know, find a way to make it kind of, you know, 
who knows what we would do with that, but never mind. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's a great kind. But, uh, but they're ordinary folks. Uh, we're all so. How many people here? Uh, I want you to know this. How many of you here uh, this morning are are confessed sinners saved by grace? Raise your hand. Take a look around. You thought you were the only one. No. <laughs> that means. Listen. This day, I'm saved by grace, just like I was 45 years ago. This day, you say. But by this point, you're like got some good stuff going on. No. I am what I am by grace. There's nothing, nothing good in my flesh. And so understand the issue. Right now, I need the grace of God. As I mature, I only realize it more. That's my maturity. Trust in myself less. Jesus must increase. I must. That's the way it rolls. Less of me, more of him. And so we want to appreciate the very issues here. That we are absolutely going to be dealing with the issues of God's love being what it is. It's always personal. You come into a wonderful group like this, get to know the people, and you're going to say, well, what, they're all probably walking on water, right? All these guys walking on water. And you say, no, uh, they may disappoint you. They may irritate you. Uh, really? Yeah, really? Uh, it's, oh, why? Because they're ordinary folks. They're growing. We all grow too slowly. But it's the grace of God. We grow slowly in the grace of God. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord slowly. Well, hold a second. How can I enjoy a fellowship when I might get irritated or disappointed by somebody? Yeah, that's where the grace of God comes in because of the love of God, you see. And so you're going to pour out his love in your heart so you'll be able to love covers a multitude of these things. And therefore, you'll be able to be in fellowship with other mere mortals uh, as we praise God for who he is and what he's done for us. But it's always going to be that way. And so you can actually get the wrong lesson. You can come to a wonderful place like this and actually think, well, I'm, just, uh, I'm going to be putting on a mask, you know, my religious smile. And I'm going to come here and kind of just shine it on, you know. Uh, and therefore get through the kind of thing we do here in praising God or whatever else we do here, and then get back to my real world, my little man cave, and figure out what, you know, who's playing this afternoon or whatever's going on with that, etc. cetera. Uh, and so you can do that uh, because you don't want to be irritated, don't want to be disappointed. Uh, and some of you are thinking, yeah, uh, that's right. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to, because, you see, we all try to protect ourselves. But in doing so, we're not having the personal love of God work in our lives. We're acting impersonally, and he never does. It's always personal. But I'm never going to let that man hurt my feelings like that again. I'm never going to let her disrespect me again. Open your heart to God. Open your heart to God. I hope this is my prayer for you. Calvary Chapel Richmond. May you be severely disappointed and offended this week. <laughs> May you have your feelings hurt all the way through. Because it's only then you get to be God's instrument of grace when you forgive those who have hurt you. When you pray for those who despitefully use you. When you bless those who curse you. And therefore open your life to the very calling of God. Because then you'll be his instrument of grace. It's when you take it personally. And you say, I'm going to personally care about people who don't care about me. I'm going to personally care about those rugrats I got. Pardon me, darling. Care about those children I have. Even, 
even though they won't appreciate me until they have children. Duh. And so I want to understand the issues here. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going, I'm going to personally open and take the risk of love because only then will I be God's instrument of grace here in whatever God may place me. And so let's understand the issues here. God personally cares about us. He personally cares, and he wants you to represent. Are you growing in the personal love of God? You're growing in that. Or have you said, no, I don't want to face that issue anymore? Have you given up? Don't. Personal love never gives up. Notice what it says here. First of all, personal love. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's, how does God love you? With an everlasting love. With an everlasting love. This is the key to marriage. What's going to make a marriage work? Is it because she's gorgeous? Is it because he's cute? Warning, I was once cute. This is your future. <laughs> Understand the issues. There's got to be more going on than that. What got you in the room may not keep you in the room, you know. You say, well, what do you mean? It's only when the Lord himself is the centerpiece of a relationship because he has an everlasting love, a love that doesn't give up, a love that doesn't quit, a love that keeps going on and on and on and will never give up on you. This is the key to our homes, our lives, and all that we have. And it's not what goes on on Sunday morning here. It's what goes on in your homes that is the testimony of God's grace and love in your life and the rest in your homes and that your homes are safe places, places of peace and grace because of his love. That's what makes a difference. How are you doing there? Have you given up on people? It's too painful for me to pray for them anymore. I can't, oh, I don't want to share the gospel with that person. Woo, you know? No, no, God hasn't given up. While there's breath to breathe, there is hope. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. It's always too soon to quit. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you five minutes before you came to faith? We all gave up on you. We thought you were a lost cause. God's grace is sufficient. Okay, we got it. But aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? God hasn't given up on anyone, even those people who offend you, those people who don't care about you. So we want to understand, we need to yield ourselves even more. We need to grow still more in the love of God. We need to mature in the love of God, that we might become instruments of grace, that people might understand the rest of God that we enjoy through all our wilderness situations, our circumstances. He brings us through that we might testify of who he is. Last thought before I close in prayer. I know last thought sounds hopeful, doesn't it? May not be my shortest point. <laughs> it says here, I've loved you with an everlasting love. His love is personal. His love is perpetual. It never gives up. He says, therefore, I want you to notice the word therefore. You say, why? It shows consequence and result. Therefore, it's the consequence of the preceding. Because he loves you, with a personal love, because he loves you with a perpetual love, therefore he has a 
powerful love that will change your life. You become the powerful instrument of God when you open your heart, and therefore it's personal. You don't give up, perpetual, and you will be that power of God into this world to share what Jesus has done, the resurrection power of God, the very love of God that brought him to us, raised him from the dead, sends us forward in victory. And so it says, therefore, I've drawn you with loving kindness. This is how he gets it done. This is how he gets it done. It's always that matter. It's never something else. And therefore, we want to yield ourselves to that love of God. Uh, there was a, uh, you'll see contact information, our contact information on the table there. Uh, take it, hand it out to friends, family, to whomsoever. Got a call. Uh, if you get our newsletter, we, we have by permission uh, testimonies that we publish uh, by, by, by the permission of, of the individuals involved. But uh, got, got a call from uh, a guy. Someone gave him his con my contact information. Uh, a, Jewish, uh, a Jewish doctor. A Jewish doctor. One of our guys made it. <laughs> and so, cool. Uh, but he called me up. His name's Barney. And he called me up. And he said, uh, listen, uh, Sam Nadler is? I said, yeah, call me Sam. Uh, he said, listen, uh, my friend gave me your, your info here. Uh, I'm looking for God. Uh, how do I find him? <laughs> I, I knew the shepherd was looking for the sheep. I didn't know there were sheep looking for a shepherd. This is good. I said, let's get together and talk, you know. We got together. I said, tell me what you've done to try to find him. Turns out he read every book but the right one. Uh, and, and so I shared with them a very simple little story. I talked about the Messiah. I said, you know, the Messiah has come. He has died in our place for our sins, raised bodily from the dead to prove it all true, that God has accepted his death in our place. The resurrection is proof of that. And I said, therefore, in light of what he did for you, all you need to do is place simple faith, simple trust, whatever you got, uh, Place it in on Jesus, real simple. Uh, not any special faith, whatever you got. It'd work, it'd be good. A hem of the garment kind of faith, whatever you got. It's all good. Uh, and you'll come to know the Lord because it's your sins that keep you from God. It's your sins. It's not knowledge, it's not education, it's personality, it's your, it's your sin. And so he listened, he said, well, uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding you, but... I can't, that can never work for me. I said, it works for everyone. Why not you? And he said, well, I left my wife and two children to live with this other woman. And if you're saying that I have to kind of stop loving her and start loving Jesus, stop believing in her, start believing in Jesus, <laughs> I can never do that. I can never do that. And I said to him, don't you realize how wrong how wrong that is? This is what he said. He said, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? People do not know the difference between lust and love. Lust will confuse you every time. And so he looked at an obscure scripture. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He looked at that and he said, well, okay, maybe it's wrong. But what can I do about it because I love her so much? I said, that's why you need a Savior. That's what, you know, usually your conscience will tell you right or wrong, but 
Sin is stronger than you. You need a Savior to deliver you from the penalty and the punishment of sin. Uh, you need a Savior uh, to deliver you. That's why you need Jesus. We looked at other scriptures. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He looked at the scriptures and he said, and I believe the Spirit of God ministered to his soul. That's what the Word of God can do. He looked at the scriptures and the Spirit of God touched him because he said, you know, I think Jesus can help me. And so he prayed right there. We, we prayed and asked Jesus to be a Savior. He trusted the Lord, uh, confessed his sins, trusted the Lord. We, we prayed together. We cried together. It was really good. It was good. Next day, he calls me up. He's in tears. I said, he said, Sam, it's horrible. I said, what's wrong, Barney? He said, remember that woman I was living with? I said, yeah. He said, when I got home, I told her we couldn't live together anymore because of Jesus. And so we split up. But it feels like my heart has been torn out of my chest. What am I going to do, Sam? What am I going to do? I said, listen, Barney, this is what the Bible teaches and what is true. If you trust God and follow God and obey God, and you suffer because you're following him. The balm of Gilead and the comfort of God will be there for you. And so he prayed about that and gave that to the Lord. That was a Thursday. He called me back on Friday. Sam! <laughs> I had never heard a happy Barney. So, yeah, Barney, yeah, isn't God good? Well, I always thought so, Barney. What makes you say so? He said, listen, remember that woman I was living with? Yeah. Well, she got so curious about why we couldn't live together anymore because of Jesus. She went and she found the pastor, and now she's been born again. I said, praise God. It's, praise the Lord. It's great. He said, Sam, I've been talking to my wife. I said, you did what? I, I called up my wife. What did you talk about? I asked her to forgive me, and since I left her, she's been born again, and she's forgiven me, and we're going to be a family again. Sam, isn't God good? God is good. Listen, we know how those stories usually end up, but that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. God's in the restoration business. God's grace is sufficient because his love will never give up. And therefore, God can make a difference in your life and through your life if you'll yield your life to him. You will be his instrument of grace and good news, his instrument of love into this world, instrument of his peace and his rest in a, in a world that doesn't know from those matters. He can make a difference through you if you'll yield your life to him. Let it be personal don't give up. He'll never give up on you. And the powerful love of God will make a difference in you and through you, in your marriage, in your home, and in your world. This is what God has us here for. Let's pray.